Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That was our ending point last week. That is the way John chapter 20 ends And it seems like when you read those words, it's the end of the story, but there is one more chapter in John 20, John 21. It's the chapter in the Bible where we we breathe a sigh of relief. It's the chapter in the Bible where we read it and and we say this, if he could do that for him, Imagine what he could do for me. And it's the place where we recognize that Jesus Christ does not give up on us. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. I always like that part. That's all of us because the unnamed guys, two other guys, were all together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. So Peter-like, isn't it? The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Just sounds like an everyday story, really. Everyday life. Seven disciples. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and the famous two other disciples. Seven of them. These were the fishermen of the 12, for sure. Probably 
probably these were the guys when it talks about fishing, these were the fishermen. And after the resurrection, what do they do? They go back to the way things were before. It's as if the resurrection didn't happen. I mean, I want us to get this. Remember, remember he re- appeared to them. Then that first night, he appeared to them again. Thomas wasn't there. And then a week later, he appears to them, right? And here we are. Afterward, sometime afterward. It's as if, though, the resurrection didn't happen. Back to the lead weights and the fishing nets. And at least one of them, at least one of them, was carrying around the lead weight of regret. So I wonder, are these disciples a lot like us? We're excited about Easter or Christmas or some other spiritual truth or holiday or event. And in that moment, in the moment of that gathering perhaps for us at Nashville North High School or or maybe in a Christmas Eve service in the sublimity of that or some other great spiritual truth or event, in the moment it is crystal clear and we are like the disciples who in John 20, 25, they say, we have seen the Lord. And we go, we've seen the Lord. And we have hope and we promise ourselves that things will be different or better But then it's as if we develop spiritual amnesia, forgetting that he is risen, he is risen indeed, and we live like these disciples as if the empty tomb never happened. And we go back to attitudes that hurt us and others. And we go back to habits that defeat us. And we go back to sins that rob us of the joy of resurrection. And we go back to regrets that paralyze us. And yet, the whole point of this entire message this morning, and yet, Jesus refuses to let the way things have been become the way things should be. Let me say that again. Jesus refuses to let things, the way they have been, become the way things should be. You see, they want to give up and go back to what they knew. Jesus wants to give them life that is new. They may give up on themselves or him. Jesus does not give up on them. And and so we hear Jesus, we hear him say, come and get it, boys. Well, that's not exactly what the Bible says. It says it this way. Come and have breakfast, he said to them. What What a great picture that is. Long night of fishing. A night of fishing where they caught nothing and all of a sudden this whole big catch and they're worn out, they're tired, their eyes are bleary red and man, isn't that a great sight? Crackling fire, fish cooking, food for them, some bread, maybe a little toast going on. And we watch as Jesus gives them bread and broiled fish, food for their hungry stomachs. But more importantly, he offers them food for their starving souls. Do you see, my friends, today as we gather that Jesus Christ is offering you and me, he's offering us food for our starving souls. And of course, the chief recipient in all of this, in this entire account, is Peter. Remember Peter? I think Peter was definitely a high-octane caffeine coffee drinker, for sure. Peter was high on declarations. 
He was loud on predictions. He was so sure of himself. You see, Peter thought he was the smartest guy in the room all the time. Remember in Matthew chapter 16, he answered the question right. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He got it right. He was so right that he turned around moments later and rebuked Jesus like Satan would. And Jesus had to look at the smartest guy in the room and say, get behind me, Satan. And then every single gospel records Peter saying something like this. Even if I die with you, I will never disown you. You see, Peter, well, he's the smartest guy in the room. He's the bravest guy in the room. He's the most committed guy in the room. He's the most spiritual guy in the room. He's the most religious guy in the room. Until he is not. Peter began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You see, that's the man we have here. That man right there is the man who, it tells us, wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. That's the man who jumped into the water. The broken, regret-filled man. The man whose soul is starving. So he drops everything to get close to Jesus once he knows it's him. He sloshes his way onto the shore, a broken man. And just like the night of his betrayal, what does he find? Same thing as the night of his betrayal, a charcoal fire. The night of his betrayal, he hid behind that charcoal fire and he chose to be a pretender. But now this charcoal fire exposes him for who he really is. Now, so much has been said about this little beach party that we find in John 21. But this morning, I think we find the key to the resurrection of Jesus actually changing our lives. For us to go from the place of he is risen and then forgetting about it to letting that actually change us, to actually change our lives I think we find the key. And Peter models for us what is needed. And we see that because later on in his life, Peter is writing to a group of struggling Christians. And he gives the key to translating the resurrection truth to a resurrection life. And if there's anyone in all of the scripture who has the credibility to write this, it is this humiliated guy who sloshes his way to the shore to be with Jesus. Later on in his life, as one of the key leaders of the early church, he writes these words. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. As a side note, I think there is a famine going on in the world. And it's a famine of humility. We've lost, we've lost the attitude of humility, even in the church. And when I read, carry this attitude of humility toward one another, I began to write this morning, what does that mean? It means 
giving the others the benefit of the doubt, not always having to be right, not always having to be first, embracing the towel and serving one another, finding ways to make others look good, not making it always about me. We've lost the spirit of humility in our debates and in our, in our opinions and in all of it. And especially in the church, and the world looks on and says, why do I want to be a part of that? But we hear Peter say, humble yourself before the Almighty God, and he will be the one to lift you up. Because he understands what it means to be humbled. You see, I don't think Peter or any of those disciples planned on denying Jesus. I don't think they planned to just walk away from the empty tomb and go back to the way things were. And I don't think any of us intend to declare on Easter Sunday, he is risen with all the fervor and assignment, excitement and not walk away from that unchanged. I don't think none of us have that in mind. I do believe that we're reminded of the hope that Jesus offers us and the life we can live that is in a different way. But then something happens. What happens to us? Life happens to us. And we let the hope we declared get crowded out. We, we never address the nagging sins. We keep them buried. We, we bury the regrets. We minimize time in God's word. We minimize time with God's people. We minimize time just being quiet with God in this world that's so noisy. And I wonder, is it because we don't want to face what's deep inside? And we don't want to humble ourselves before God and one another. And yet, in the midst of all of that, this disciple who didn't plan to deny Jesus was humbled. <clears throat> and he writes this great truth, offering hope to us later. He writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, Peter discovered hope, resurrection hope, hope that actually makes a difference in the real details of life, not just in the safe space of a sanctuary on a Sunday morning in May. He discovered hope as he humbled himself. But let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not act as if it's just some simple decision away. This was painful. This was hard. I imagine the other disciples are refusing to look Pete in the eye because they're embarrassed for him. Because what Jesus does is Jesus airs Peter's dirty laundry out. You probably remember the story, but it's very much so worth repeating. So they had breakfast. But when they had finished eating, at least Jesus allowed Peter to get a good meal in, right? Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. Let me translate that. Lord, you know my heart. You know what's really inside me. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Laid it all on the table for Peter. And then he said, follow me. This passage is so rich with symbolism and meaning, but let's just not lose one thing. Peter stood by a charcoal fire and denied Jesus three times. And now again he stands by a charcoal fire and Jesus gives him the opportunity to affirm his faith three times. And so do you see it? Jesus refuses to let him live in the past with all of its regret and he pulls him to God's preferred future. Jesus does not give up on Peter, even when it seems like Peter has given up on himself. And in the end, Peter hears an invitation he's dying to hear. It's an invitation that causes his mind to go back in time. He's transported back to the early days when it was also fresh and new and promising. It was before everything. and It was before the denials. It was before the cross. It was way back, three years plus back. His mind goes back and he hears Jesus say, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Come, follow me, and you will become a fisher of men, he says to Peter. And at once, Peter and all the disciples left their nets, and they followed him. But that was yesterday. That was three years ago. He's now denied him. And yet, he hears it again in verse 19. Then Jesus said to Peter directly, follow me. Peter's sense of belonging is restored Peter's sense of purpose in the world is renewed. And that's a great story. But that was then. This is today. And this is more than a good story in the Bible. In the movements of this text, we see one recurring theme in this beautiful set of scenes that flow from one to the next, from the disciples attempting to go backward to the way things used to be, to Peter's restoration from the choices that were. Jesus does not give up on these disciples, but continues to pull them forward toward God's preferred future for them. And my friends, for you and for me in our everyday lives, remember this, Jesus does not give up on us. And he does not give up on his church. And he's continuing, he's continuing to pull us forward to be the new creation people that God intends for us to be. This is the path to living out the resurrection life. This is the start of new creation living. Jesus is inviting you and me today to that. He says, follow me. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we 
continue to think through some truths and prepare for communion. Though we are not in a boat this morning, though Jesus is not on the shore, he is calling you and me to abandon the safety of the way things have always been and to jump in feet first to follow him. For in him, in Jesus Christ, we find life. And when we do, on the other end is not a campfire breakfast, but the bread of life, Jesus. So this morning, our campfire meal, well, it looks like this table. It's not a beach, it's a table made from cherry wood. Our campfire meal looks like this Lord's table. And in this table, Jesus calls out and says, come and get it. And coming to this feast, we are to come humbly. This table which reminds us of the body given, the blood shed. It reminds us of life given for us and to us. And this table offers the same path for us as it was for Simon Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So this morning, you see, we must come. We must come humbly confessing. Confessing attitudes that hurt others and us, ourselves. Habits that defeat us. Sins that rob us of the joy of resurrection. Regrets that paralyze us and trying to live for him. And so for just a moment, as we prepare for communion, I'm going to ask you in a moment just to be silent. I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to bow your head, bow your heart, close your eyes perhaps. And I'd like you to think about attitudes that maybe you've carried that have hurt yourself or have hurt others. Attitudes you've carried that have not been humble towards other people. Habits that are defeating you. Habits that seem to trip you up in trying to live out this faith. Sins that rob you of the joy of resurrection. Maybe they're secret sins and no one else knows. But Jesus doesn't give up on you or me, us. Sins that you can confess to him this morning. Ask for forgiveness and find it. It's here now. And regrets. Can you confess regrets that paralyze you and stop living in the land of regret and live in the land of new creation where even Peter, who denied our Lord directly, could be restored? Why can't you? Why can't me? So I invite you to silence. Come confessing to God what you need to confess to him this morning. This morning, and this morning we come as a confessing people. And the good news of the gospel is that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the good news is that you are life and hope and everything, Lord God, we could desire. And so this morning, 
We confess. We ask for you to forgive. We ask, Lord God, that you'd give us a new attitude of humility to you and toward one another. And then in that, humbling ourselves before God, might you lift us up as resurrection people to the glory of God. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning with me. Our final act this morning is this act gathered around the table, humbly recognizing all that he has done for us. Now may we go in the power of the name of Jesus, in the love of God, with the presence of the Spirit. May we go and humbly live our lives out to the glory of God. May we go living in the truth that he does not give up on us. May we go and live resurrection life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Please greet one another in the name of our Savior.